Hey, Daniel. Where's West? Where? Uh, okay, so here's the thing. Um, I've been watching a lot of your shows recently. Like, I, I was, I, I started out with the Facebook Live, and then I, I said, oh, he's on YouTube, I went to YouTube. Um, I noticed that you wear a lot of vests, and recently over quarantine, um, I've sort of become a really big vest fan. I've been researching different types of vests to wear. I know that you seem to be a vest connoisseur. I mean, you're wearing a vest right now. Uh, and if you don't, I, so I'm sort of thinking I'm just going to cut the sleeves on my shirt. Maybe make some, I, I might have to take a knife down here, but just sort of, I, I want to, you know, learn how to make and wear vests. And I know that, well, yeah. That's okay, so that's I'm the here. best improv skit you could come up with for this, was, was the vest thing. Really? Where's your dad? Yeah, because I, what? Where is your father, Sadie? He's not, he, he's, he's not here. I told him to go to Old Navy to go get some, like, some vests. Yes. <laughs> and you're backing her up on the, who is this guy? Yeah. Sadie, who is this guy? Well, I went to school with him. His name is Vic, and he makes vests. And he make and he makes vests. Okay. Yes, he does. He wants. I said. I said no. Daniel has really good stitching on his vests. Look at look at it. It's got to be like a, you know, like a V rate V for vest V rating thread count on his vest right now. Why don't you take a look? And then maybe we can make a prototype or something. Make a really good quality vest. So you're like super committed to this bit. This is the bit you actually want me to put out there on the show with, with, uh, with, uh, uh, on, on, I mean, on, I, on a vest. I, I, really? I, I wish it was a bit because if it was, then I wouldn't have stayed up all night researching vests, but it's not really. Okay. Cause honestly, you know, because now, now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I mean, this guy looks like a tailor. I mean, he looks like somebody who is, you know. He, There's he, a reason he, for that. You know, he, you know, well, actually kind of looks like Zach Galifianakis or he kind of looks like, uh, he does, he kind of, you know, he kind of reminds me of, have you seen, have you seen that, uh, have you seen the show, uh, What We Do in the Shadows? He kind of I, kind of reminds me of Guillermo with the beard. I also like uh, that you're referencing the show and not the movie, considering the movie is a million times better than the show. It really, yeah, it really was. But I, I, I find myself watching it, you know, and you know, it's it, it it's uh, you know, I, 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 I was well, really no, trying okay, to give well, it a I mean, chance. I, I haven't seen much of the show, so I just uh, I was just wondering if actually like on any of the episodes, do you have any of the characters worn any cool vests at all? Oh, they wear vests all the time. They were my inspiration. They were my inspiration for wearing vests because because these guys are well. You know, there's there's one who's like a Victorian English vampire. So you know, that's so that's 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 what's inspired that. But I I I noticed that you tend towards sort of like a like a you look like a saloon a general store manager. I I do. I was very. I was. Exactly. Like I was, of, yeah. I was very inspired by Mr. Olson on Little House on the Prairie because never you know, saw it, but I get the reference. You know, because honestly, I think you know, you know, his kids and his wife were awful, but he was the he was the general store owner, and he was great. And also Sam Drucker from Green Acres, which was another very old, old, old show. So yeah, 
<laughs> but I, I really can't believe you, you've put that much thought and commitment into this bit about my it's, vest. Okay. It's really not it's, a you've, bit, been, like you've been I'm, holding I'm on to you. you've been, no, you've been holding on to this since last week when we talked and you were really, no, really, I, I, I think you were kind of upset, but you know, we we've been, able, we've been last ignoring. Week, and if you go back on YouTube, you'll see that there is no scene in which I, I know, you know, you video. weren't, you weren't, you know, it wasn't in this day. We cut for time and everything, but I've had enough uh -huh. of you and I'm going to talk and I'm going to talk to this guy to see if he can actually help me make a vest. Okay, to actually, you know, to help me with the best, you know, since you were obviously not contributing to the show, Sadie. Uh, you, dude, what was your name again? <laughs> what was your name? What name did she give you? <laughs> it was, uh, it, your name is Vic, 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 Vic the Vestment. Vic, Vic, Vic Vesta. Vic Vesta. <laughs> that's, uh, oh my God, uh, that's... He's I okay. Think you're a little bit flustered. I feel well, like I'm flustered like because the character name you picked for your friend is right on the nose, kidding? Sadie. Come on, Vic Vesta. Like, really? It's yeah. That's the so on the nose. Okay, Vesta. That's where you got the name. That's where the word vest came from. Because in like the year 1300, the Vesta family started. They were saying, "Well, like my midsection's a little bit." you know cold but like my arms are, so they started making vests and now thousands of years well later, you are actually you're 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 you're, you're, you're a direct descendant of the vesta family yep well you know you're you are you, that that is good except for the most important part you forgot to bring in you forgot to bring forgot to bring in the waistcoat wars where the name vesta was finally settled on and that's yeah. true but that's like the waistcoats yeah the yeah, because because you know, because because they were brought in with the Vesta in the Zoom. Well, I think it's a I think it's important that we have equal voice for for both sides of this conflict. Okay, I mean I and, I, I, I don't know. And Willard Waistcoat and Willard Waistcoat was was one of the leaders of the movement for mid body mid body covering. No. No, I mean he Stole was also a super racist, so you we don't go there. But, uh, I really stole that from my family. Yeah, really? Uh, no, because my understanding was in the 1200s, it was the waistcoat family that came forth in in England. I, and I know you think this is white privilege, but it 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 really isn't. This is the these are the facts of the matter. Willard Waistcoat and his family brought forth the need for mid-body protection in the in the in the summer and not in the summer, excuse me, in the spring and the fall months. You know what? We're, we're, we're wearing wait, wearing wait, wait, a can I can I interject? I heard a story. Um my my like 12th grade history teacher told us uh, so back when the waistcoats first came to America, uh, mm -hmm. they, they made waistcoats, but, um, they also had a lot of just like extra fabric, you know, things like that. And I mm -hmm. heard that they gave smallpox waistcoats to all of the natives in the area. So, you know, gotta stick with the vest on this one. Oh, uh, well. And, and you know, and, and Sadie, I'm sorry, but to the information well, your teacher, I, you your, know what? teachers like, obviously, you obviously, you know, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. If anything, we're all team vests over here. We got the vest down here. Okay, the waist, the with the waistcoat. You wearing the vest. 
We have me. I, uh, excuse me. I am not wearing a vest. See, these, this has a collar, thereby making it a waistcoat. <clears throat> Ooh. I don't know if we can well, be here. Yeah. Really? Listen, Vic, I, I, you know, I appreciate, I understand your family and your sacrifices and everything, but you know, this, 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 this is a waistcoat show. Okay. You either get on board or get off my show. I can put well, it aside for now. Yeah. Just okay. go scream into a pillow later. You know what? Good for the debate. Hi, I'm Daniel. I tried to host a broadcast quality talk show on Facebook and it did not go so well. So I decided to take a much needed rest. Well, technically the state appointed psychiatrist and the judge decided. I am now a guest at the Sunny Slope Sanitarium here in beautiful Santa Carla, California, where I am hosting a brand new talk show. Or as my court ordered therapist calls it, a grandiose delusion brought on by my unresolved trauma. Joining in my delusion this week, my longtime friend, martial artist and stunt coordinator, John Crane, plus master coach and hypnotherapist Carla Lloyd delves in on how to help people get back on track with their lives. We also have a musical performance from Stephen Roth and the pre-show players. Welcome to the Asylum. Our first guest tonight is a longtime friend of mine going back to my days at the Comedy Store when I first got to Los Angeles. He's going to share a story about how he went from a black belt martial artist to a stand-up comedian back to a black belt martial artist stunt coordinator fight choreographer. Would you please welcome John Krang. John Krang, how are you doing? <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I haven't seen you in a while. Long while. No, we haven't. You were, uh, you were doing, well, you were, you for the most part were doing stand up at the comedy store. I was doing pretty much everything, but Mitzi just did not like me as a stand up. <laughs> oh, uh, no, you just got to change that last name. It's too long on the bill. Eggs. <laughs> and I wouldn't do it. I'm like, you know, I've already been stuck with this Polish hell for a quarter of a century. I'm not letting it go now. No. <laughs> Just like Arnold, we call him Arnold Strong. How about you, Daniel Strong? Yeah, that's it. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk to Argus. Have him up. You can open for him if you change your name this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was, it was, it was hysterical. There was there's so much that went on there. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I met you. You were, you were already a black belt. A black belt in what? what in karate? Uh, and uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu. And Japanese jiu-jitsu. So, right. wow. Yeah. So, yeah, you can mess up a dude back then. Yeah, even back then. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny was um, Richard Pryor and Sam Kinison would uh, kind of kid around with me, and then Richard uh, would ask me to walk him to his car. Because, <laughs> you know, you know how people were with him back then. Was, oh, yeah, yeah. Coming at him. And yeah. when he was able to walk and all that stuff, he goes, hey, John, you, you mind walking me back to my car? I yeah. Know, he, take care. he goes, I know you can handle shit. I was like, <laughs> yeah, sure, anytime, whatever, Rich, whatever, sure. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just, mm -hmm. you know, so it was just, you know, when Rashawn wasn't there, I would, I would, I would do that. Rashawn yeah. was the guy who was his main bodyguard, but sometimes he didn't show up. Exactly, yeah. Spots and just kind of leave. So I just, hey, John, you mind walking me back to my car? Yeah, sure, of course. You know, the entire time I was there, and I didn't see Richard Pryor till after I left. Oh. So I did not see him. I did not see Sam. 
but I got the biggest compliments from Fleischer, Charles Fleischer, and from Andrew Dice Clay. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, Dice, you know, he was like, he was standing in the back. He's like, hey, you know, hey, hey, hey Daniel, you know, I, I like you a lot. You know why? Because you're out here, you're doing your job, you're paying attention, you're watching, and you're one of the few people around here keeping his fucking mouth shut, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that was when Wheel, Michael Parisi, and, and Jay London were following him around like little puppies. Oh, my God, those names, yeah, 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 yeah. It was, what? What year was that? That was uh, 92. Okay. 1992. I, I worked, I came, well, I came to work there when I first got to LA, when I found out I was not going to make it as a porn star, I went to work at the, uh, at the comedy store. I got, I got there and I think it was like Labor Day of 1990 uh -huh. and we'd gone out for a show and Paul Mooney had righteously pissed off my, uh, members of my family and I knew that's what I wanted to do. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, what did he say? Oh, he, he just did his set. Oh, he man. just did his set, you know, and you had your entitled folks out there. And, and it was back when Dark Man came out. You remember his bit about oh, Dark yeah. Man? Dark Man, Dark Man, Dark Man. I heard Hollywood. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'll say it a hundred times a day. Made my teeth whiter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ain't, ain't that a bitch? Man, that word, man. Now you can't say it no more. <laughs> he was, oh, he was brutal. Oh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, we had the really politically correct comedians who would say things like, you know, you're getting old when you find all your favorite records in the nice price section down at Sam Goody. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder who said that. Nobody would say I wonder, that. I wonder, wonder who said that one, yeah. <laughs> so, now, now, are you still doing stand-up? No, no, not really. I mean, I, I got burnt out. And, you know, I, at, the, at the time, what happened was... Uh, my sensei was dying. Oh. And I went through a divorce, and then about maybe eight months later, I met this woman I was dating at the time, and she was going through cancer. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it just it just got to a point where I just, it was a little difficult to be funny on stage. Yeah, well, you know, that, that, that especially that kind of, yeah, that kind of yeah. trauma, yeah. you know. And, uh, and also, I mean, I, it was just like, it made me kind of question, you know, I mean, I, I enjoy stand-up. I, I enjoy it. It's just the business aspect was not, it was, I mean, getting on stage was the easy part, the hard part. Mm -hmm. Actually dealing with the bookers and getting. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's the hardest part of any, any entertainment endeavor. Right. That's that's why I'm doing this 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 the way I want to do it. Otherwise, I'd have an entire production crew sitting there telling me every every little move to make, and it's it, yeah. it and so I, I'm doing this up. It's going to be an even bigger deal next week. Oh, and cool. so you're like, yeah, you're like, well, why didn't you put me on then? But uh, you know, I'd got to I have to I have to make sure all my production <laughs> value looks good. That's what. So that's what uh, that's what's going on with that. Uh, yeah, you know, so you've, so, wow, uh, I, I, you kind of, kind of, kind of took the wind out of my sails with the whole cancer thing. That's, so I'd imagine that's what it did for you back then. Yeah, I mean, also, it, it just, I, I got burnt out, you know. Um, oh, yeah. At the, time, at the time, it was just, there weren't that many Asian comics at the time. Oh, yeah. I was dealing with a lot of, a lot of crap. And I'm oh, like, yeah. I, yeah. And the thing was, is this, I, at the time, I don't mm -hmm. know if you know this. I started actually when I got to the store. I was doing. I was. I was performing there, and then also what happened was uh, 
I met a chiropractor who put my leg back together because I got it got badly injured. Well, yeah, yeah, that's that's what that's what that's what started your comedy career, as I recall. So he put it back together, and I was in rehab for about a year. So while I was doing stand up, and uh, you know what happened was I, I decided he told me one day he goes you can start training now you can start training where you were back then I was like really so I started training and then getting back into shape and about within six months I got I was asked to work on a Jet Li movie. Oh my goodness! I love yeah. Jet Li. <laughs> awesome, awesome. I, it was he was still in his prime? So I oh was, yeah, oh yeah. I was in his fourth movie. This was an '86. So I he was, was this eighty six or ninety six? Eighty six. Was it eighty six? Oh, okay. It came out in ninety two. Oh, but um, but what? Because happened, you did hook in ninety one. I remember yeah, that. Yeah. 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 yeah the, I, this was this was actually right before that. Yeah. So what oh. Was um we did this. I, I did this, and then what happened was we were um. I thought about it. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool because I was working with the Hong Kong crew, the guy that trained us. Mm -hmm. was, uh, was one of Jackie's boys oh. and you know he told us so many stories and I was like oh yeah you know this is pretty cool it's hard I almost got run over by a car <laughs> but, you know it was I, I thought this is something I always dreamt about doing as a kid so oh, yeah yeah and and I didn't tell I didn't tell many people the story that's what I did because you know it just, they kind of look no. like, what you know so I mean comics are the most cynical people in the world <laughs> oh yes yes well that's that's part of the reason part of the reason i left is like i didn't i didn't have the drive to be a stand-up comic i wanted you know i appreciated it but i realized i i've always wanted to do what basically what we're doing here right now i've always wanted to be a show host i just wanted to talk to people i've always wanted to talk to people that were more talented smarter than i am you know that's that's what I that's what I wanted to do, and uh, I just wasn't, and and I was never going to get stage time from Mitzi. Uh, I did, uh, you know, I I do remember hosting from uh, from the uh, piano though. That was always fun. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> but, you know, here's the thing: you you weren't in. Um, There's a lot of people that ended up making it that, that right. weren't weren't a part of the store. So it was. I mean, back then it was it was two places. Oh yeah, it was the, either the improv or the comedy store, and oh, I remember that feud. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, now now that things kind of opened up, it's things have changed. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, oh, yeah. You know, oh yeah. Look back at those days. I mean, there were some guys that she turned down that that end up making it huge. Well, there's there's few that uh, that I kind of justify, you know, uh, Dennis Miller comes to mind. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, she didn't like comic then. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so and there were there were a lot of folks I there was uh, she, uh, but she always remembered me. I don't that's I guess, great. you know. And you know, that's the you know, that says something. You know, it's not like I was like somebody that, you know, she always acknowledged me every time I came back. It's like, "Oh, Daniel, how are you?" <laughs> <laughs> And I was, I was, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't get to find out about her memorial, but, uh, but always loved her to death. So, uh, so uh, I guess Danny Stone passed too. Yeah. A lot of guys that we knew back then passed. Yeah. Because honestly, I was watching Marin's show. Uh, I was watching Marin's show and uh, Joey Diaz's character oh, yeah. reminds me so much of Danny Stone. <laughs> I was like wondering, I'm like, well, I was wondering, I was like, yeah, do you think, do you, think you know, because what Joey Diaz is like that in general, I guess, but, uh, you know, and I saw, and saw Eddie Papatone and. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I saw Mark Marin 
at a SAG screening of Glow. Oh. And I talked to him a little bit afterwards. I go, I, look, I know you won't remember me, but yeah. my first day at the store when I got picked up as a regular and we had to, you had to kind of go, you know. You oh, know. yes, exactly. You went through the non-paid regular spots right. first. Yeah. yeah. So my very first night was Mark's last night there at the store. Oh, wow. So he kind of ran me through the ropes. because all right, this is what you got to know, blah, blah, blah. blah. Mm-hmm. And, and, he, you know, and I was like, I told him, I go, I don't know if you know this, but you kind of broke me in my first night at the store, and it was your last day. And I think you were thinking about moving mm-hmm. to Arizona at the time. I can't remember, but he's like, oh, wow. And we started talking. And mm-hmm. then I started bringing up some names that we knew back then. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was it was, it was. It was fun. I mean, oh yeah. Well, I, 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 I think that there was a point he had come, he had come upstairs to the office when I was still working upstairs. And, uh, I remember, I remember vividly sitting at that, uh, sitting at that, that desk outside of Mike Becker's office. Oh yeah. You know, the, the reception, the reception desk, uh, at the time, Michael Nordstrom was there. And of course, uh, Russell Starlin, there was Emilio, these were all like the guys that kind of hung out during the daytime. And then, so we were working as the, uh, the runners. Oh gosh. Yeah. 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 And so, so we were, and we would answer phones during the day and, uh, and, and right outside of Mike Becker's office, right there by the belly room. <laughs> yes. I remember it vividly. <laughs> I had so, phones for a year. Oh yeah. So. Yeah, well, there we go. Well, uh, Mitzi, uh, Mitzi got me off the phones. She didn't like the way I answered the phones. I was, uh, I don't know what it was. A lot of people. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no. But she, I, I think she did. She did like me. I was just such a mess of a kid back then. Hmm. But uh, we're here to talk about you. Okay, yeah. that's yeah. It's like yeah. Stop, stop, stop bragging there, Dan. No, we're no, cool. talking about you. So you, you did, you did your movie with Jet Li, and and you've gone on to do several other several other movies and you are now and you are now considered a considered a great source for fight choreography for yeah. for assembling the uh for assembling the fight scenes which i, I you know they I, I that's you know that that's that that seems like a lot <laughs> you know it is it's if you look at it as a, as a three-act structure yeah you're telling it non-verbally that's the best yeah. way I can describe it to anybody that kind of looks at it and go, oh, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't do this, can't do that. But the whole thing is yeah. you're going to design a fight. You know, you're, desi- you're, designing a, you're designing a fight in, in a three-act structure. Yeah. Each yeah. individual. So each individual fight within a, within a particular motion picture or TV show is, is part of a three, is itself a three-act play. Yes. You're, yeah. you're building up to the climax and then boom. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a beginning, middle, and there's got to be a reason for it. Just like right. any scene, there's got to be a reason for the fight. There's right. There's got to be uh, a, a, a turnaround. There's got to be a twist. And, and there's got to be something that ends the fight. Like Just like any scene or any three-act structure, something's got to end it. And what happens to the characters after mm-hmm. that fight into the scenes that aren't action-oriented Mm-hmm. is a good fight scene exactly if it carries into that scene and yes. and and moves it along yeah. that's uh that's uh that's an impressive that's 
I honestly don't know how to respond, John. I just, it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's, yeah, that makes total sense. And, and, yeah. and I totally get that. And now, now you, you have, I've, I've seen you voice your opinion and I heard you voice your opinion on, on more than one occasion about what you feel to be a really bad fight scene or the show. Then you said, oh, that their, their fight scenes are awful. Did you, uh, did you want to share any of those? <laughs> no, I, there's a lot. I mean, there's, yeah, I, there's a lot of fights that, that when a, a filmmaker or a choreographer thinks that it's about all the cool moves. Yeah. It, it isn't because it's, it's, it's essentially, you know, mental masturbation. If you really think about it, it's like a why? Why wow. have the fight? Cause well, I just want to look cool. I want to do, I just want to yeah. have cool. Cause I have dealt with, you know, some filmmakers or performers that just want to look cool. They don't care about why they're there. They just want to, you know, they want to do the really impressive move and, oh, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. There's no reason for it. And the thing is, is they don't understand that if you insert that scene for no reason or it doesn't advance a story, yeah. you're, you're going to lose the audience. That's all there is to it. And I try to explain that to actors and, and filmmakers and producers that you stand a chance of doing this. And sometimes yeah. they listen to me, sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, a, my friend, Dan Speaker, who's a sword master on Hook, he's, he calls it cool movitis. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So, you know, I, 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 it's, but you, you see it. You see it all the time. You oh, yeah. And, and, and um, not just in, in, in the West. You see it in Europe. You see it, you see it in Hong Kong. They do, it, they do that all the time. But the good choreographers like Yen Wu Ping, Sammo Hung, Jackie. Yeah. There's a reason behind what they do. And there's, there's an emotion that changes. It's not always anger. Right. Anger, exactly. Anger. Well, you know, that you, you mentioned Jackie, and that's a great example because, he, you know, obviously he'll he'll do something but you know he'll do a move from a ladder well he needed to be up that ladder there's there's a reason he ran up that ladder there was a reason for everything and uh i want to share a theory with you and i want i want to see see if you uh see if you see if you buy into this because star wars as we know is in my personal opinion is is based on kung fu movies part of part of its part of its part of its mythos is kung fu movies are you talking about the Okay, four, five, and six, or one, two, and three, or the seven, eight, and nine. <laughs> uh, uh, well, actually, uh, pretty much, uh, pretty much. Well, the early ones, obviously, but I'm thinking, four, five, I'm, yeah, four, five, and six. But actually, in this case, I am going with one, two, and three. Okay, I'm using one, two, and three because I'm using the example of the most reviled character in Star Wars history, and I have a theme, and I have a, I have a theory, and it's actually been shared by somebody else. Uh, okay. And that is that Jar Jar Binks is, in fact, a drunken master. I can see where you're going with that. I because, can see where you're going with that. Because, well, you know, the, the, one, of the, one of the classic characters. Matter of fact, uh, did you watch Into the Badlands? I've only watched a couple episodes. I'm so far behind because we were so busy trying to get our production company started. Yeah. We just need to catch up. I mean, I, we have Netflix, so I definitely got to catch up on it. I need yeah, so far, I think they only have three seasons up there, and I think it went four. I think it went at least four. I think it went four seasons. Yeah. But, you know, Nick Frost from uh, Nick Frost with you know, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, he's uh -huh. in that. I was oh. like, Really? Oh, you know. And so he's, 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 a, he's, he's kind of like a drunken master type character. Interesting. 
And so, uh, but the reason, but my, my reasoning is, is because Jar Jar Binks is, and I think not only is he a drunken master, I think he's a Sith Lord. I think he's Darth, I think he's Darth Sidious's. (laughs) I think he's, I think he's Darth Sidious's master. (laughs) So I was, Again, just 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 throwing it out there, just to stir up some stuff. <laughs> but you've started your own production company. You mentioned that just now. What uh, and and you are your 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 first film is going to be a documentary. Is that what I understand? Yeah, it's a. I'm. I'll tell you a little bit about. It. I can't say too much about it. It's okay. A documentary on the history of martial arts cinema. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's a multi-episode. Uh, Thing. It's gonna be kind of in the bit Ken Burns. Oh well, there we go. Yeah, I mean, I and you know, you know. By the way, what a badass narration that would be to have Keith David doing the narration. Oh my god! <laughs> or you? <laughs> oh, well, I'm very flattered, but you know, I, 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 I thank you. You're very kind, but uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> but you know, I, I actually, I do, I do pretty well, but uh, you know, I there are a lot. Of, there's a lot of others, you know. You tip your hat to Jackie Chan and Jet Li. I I tip my hat to John DiMaggio and Maurice LaMarche. And <laughs> oh yeah, Mar- Mo, Mo LaMarche. Oh my God. Mo, yes, you know the brain. Hey. Oh God, guy. He's, he's so much fun to work with. You ever work with him? Yes, and he's iconic though. I mean, that's I haven't I'm not in a long time. I mean, you know, he barely he barely stuck his head in at the comedy store back in those days, uh-huh. and uh, and then quite uh, a few times back in the day. Oh yeah, but he was. Yeah, I remember that he yeah. had done that uh, that Rodney Dangerfield special with uh, Harry Basil. Yes. Yeah, they had done that uh, that uh, Rodney special. Yeah, so, that was fun. Yeah. yeah. Always back to the comedy store. <laughs> it, well, it it is it is it's it's that it's that dark route from whence we all came. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's why I, it's I, painted black. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like we've all left Mordor. What? Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. I I do I do I do appreciate those days back then, but uh, it definitely. But you definitely took the opportunity and and really and worked with something and and something better came out of it. And you've you know again that wonderful little full circle, starting out in martial arts and returning to the uh, and returning to the fold. Yeah, you know I I think with any creative, you know any anybody that wants to get in the creative entertainment industry, I think. All your experiences, even though you feel like you didn't follow through, you never finished, mm-hmm. uh, what you, whatever you think is finishing it, get, crossing that finish line, it's, mm-hmm. it, that experience always comes to help you in your new endeavors. Exactly, like, yeah. Like I, I never forget this. I remember we were playing in the Entertainment Softball League Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Mitzi would pay for the our entry fee for all this stuff, and we played guys like at Universal Studios. We 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 pitch we play against Michael Bolton one one time. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. So yeah. you know, so one I remember we're we're taking uh, we're we're playing down in Long Beach, and we uh, Mitzi chartered the bus and took us back. And I remember Argus Hamilton told us he told me he told me exactly. He said, you know, whether you whether you make this your lifetime career or not. There's things you're going to learn in this business that will stay with you forever. And he's, he's so true. And I, you know, thank God he's, he's on Facebook because I talked to him often. I just say, Hey Argus, I don't know if I ever told you this, but 
thank you for telling me that because I'm understanding that right now as, you know, as, as I'm becoming a filmmaker and I'm, and when you learn it, when you have to pitch to people and you have to kind of sweeten things up, make, you know, take the tension out of things, you know how to make things a little bit better and sweet things up. You know? Right. Exactly. you you know, you, you know how to smooth it over. Got it. Right. <laughs> right, right. You know how to kind of, yeah, just, just yeah, take out man. the tension out of the situation and kind of, so we can move on. I mean, and I thank them for you. Oh, wow. Thank you. You oh. listen to that stuff. And go, yeah, of yeah. Well, I always, I always, I'm always, I'm always, I'm always looking at his Facebook as well because Argus, pretty much everybody from back in that day, uh, you, uh, Blake, Jackson, uh, Jackson Purdue, oh, yeah. uh, Steve, Steve Kravitz. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, you know, uh, Carl is a guy I haven't seen on there in a while. Oh, no, no, Carl LeBeau is there, and so is Alan Steven. Uh, the uh, the well, there were three. There were there were like Buster Brown and oh, Buster's on there. And yeah, Buster's on there. I don't think Buster friended. I don't think he liked me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Buster friend him. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably ain't gonna happen. But you know, uh, love Buster. And then uh, Carl, what was Carl's last name? Oh, yeah. Carl Edwards, thank you, Carl Edwards. I think I, I think he's a friend on there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's. I, 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 every once in a while, he'll stick his head up. I mean, yeah, I think he's working in Vegas. He was working in Vegas. He was. Yeah. yeah, he was. He was. He was working in Vegas. You know, uh, I never, I never heard what uh, what's going on with the Todd. Have you heard anything? I heard he's no longer with us. Oh well. Oh my goodness. There's there's a picture running away from your house, man. You should probably, you know. It's running away. You should, <laughs> you should try to catch that. <laughs> That's that. You know, it's, you know, between between the wife and the dog. I love it. It's great. But yeah, you know, you are you are pulling off the full the full. Uh, you're pulling off the full uh, Shaolin master there. Look, you've got to get, got it rock in there. <laughs> I got to do whatever you do to make things happen. <laughs> exactly. Well, anyway, I'm going to let you go, man. I've talked to you for a good bit. I, I really appreciate your helping me out with this. This is oh, my, sure. my, little, time, my little thing. And, you know, and uh, thank you for not, thank you for not mentioning anything about the vest. You're like, you know, and for not making any comment about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, my, my friend's kid picked me out. Oh, actually, that, that reminds me. She asked me to ask this question to my guests. Um, so I'm going to actually ask you two questions. Okay. So the question from my, my friend's daughter, who is, is, is part of the show today, was what would it take, and, you can, and this can be something of great imagination. It doesn't have to be something you could realistically do. What would it take for you to pursue a career in grave robbing? Grave robbing. <laughs> A strong shovel. <laughs> a strong shovel. You're, you're already you're already there. You're like, forget this production stuff. I'm going into grave robbing. There we go. There we go. <laughs> All right. Last person's name is Frankenstein, by any chance? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah. Sadie Frankenstein, as a matter of fact. Or, or, <laughs> they, they live in Texas. They, they, they're investing in chainsaws. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How are you at digging up a mass grave? <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> And my question for you, because the whole theme of my show, as you know, is, uh, is, is, is the asylum uh, of all the people, you know, uh, both in life or, you know, famous, who do you think should be locked away? Who should be committed to a mental hospital? 
Oh boy. Oh, too many. <laughs> who who needs to be the first to go? Who needs to be the first to get get locked up? <laughs> the OR lineup on any given night. <laughs> oh, that's uh, that's a good. <laughs> which, by the way, for you folks that don't know what the OR lineup is, it stands for the original room at the Comedy Store. So there were three showrooms. There was the main room, there was the uh, the original room, and then they've uh, they've basically been contracting out the belly room these days. So, yeah. yeah. They didn't. The belly room wasn't open at all for just about anything when we were there. It was just the main room and the original room. It was open on certain nights. It, I, for me, when I was there in '86, we would. It was. It was the non-page room. Yeah, we, yep. we would perform there. It, it was always packed on Monday nights. Oh so yeah, that was our room on Monday nights. So we got to try out our stuff. Um, and and I remember, like you know, when I was working the back door or or parking the cars. Mitzi would tell us, "Hey, you know, um, the late show, the 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 eight o'clock show in the OR is about not the OR, the main room is about to end, mm -hmm. and we're shoveling everybody up into the up into the belly room. So mm -hmm. get and she'd tell me get get A B C D E, you know, get the lineup mm -hmm. together so I'd MC that show. Uh, so if they wanted more comedy, they'd go up and they'd see us. That's how you know they got." He made more money on drinks and, and exactly made more. Yeah, hey, she yeah. was she, she was all about making the bucks there. Yeah, I mean, I want to yeah. apologize to you, and I want to thank you for not bringing it up earlier. How I almost got you into a into a fight with Chuck Norris, and I, I really appreciate you're not holding the grudge <laughs> over that. I remember that. You do. do. You know what happened after that? No, no, no. I, I got to thank you for that. You got to. You know what happened? Okay, I, here's what happened. I walked up to him and I told him, you know, I would, I trained with Keith Talley, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And we, he goes, oh, God, yeah. And then um, I said, yeah, I don't know, remember me? I met you back in the day, you know, when I was competing. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. So we started talking. He goes, send me your stuff. Let's see what we could do. So that's, that's what happened. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I did go. <laughs> I mean, you, I, no, I took you. I took you to his. I took you to his seat. Yeah, no, I to him. He was. He, if you ever, I mean, I knew him before. I knew he uh -huh. was gonna be cool. But what happened was he. He's always. He's probably a nice guy. Nice as much. Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. It was hysterical. But I had. I had escort. I had escorted him in. As we walked through, you were on stage. I pointed you out to him. I said, "Oh, by the way, that's John Krang. He is a. Uh -huh. He's a black belt and you know black belt martial artist." And uh, I took took him to sit sit down, and you came off from the stage from your performance. You'd come around the back of the original room, came came out the back door, and and I said to you, and I told you that, hey, you know, uh, I just sat Chuck Norris. And you go, oh, I know Chuck Norris. I said, oh, well, here, let me show you where he sat, where I sat sat him. Yeah. We walked in to the we went we went in that little back that little back yeah. ramp right there right, to the right. original room. Yeah. I walked in there. Chuck Norris was facing the stage. The show hadn't started yet. I put my hand on Chuck Norris's shoulder and I said, "John, this is the guy who said he could kick your ass." <laughs> yeah, we talked for a little bit afterwards. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah. Yeah, he tried to he tried to get me on some of his shows. It just didn't happen at the time. And just he just could Texas Ranger. Oh yeah. yeah, he's a really, really super nice guy. He really is. He's very, he's very, he's very straight to the point, and he right. he does, and he carries himself very well. And hey, you know, and and thanks to Bruce Lee, we know who he is. So, <laughs> John, it's been a great talk, brother. I oh, yeah. really yeah. enjoy our time, and uh, 
and you and I have to see each other in real life and uh, actually yeah. sit down. You're in the yeah. valley, right? Yes, I am. Yeah. All right. Well, let's hold over. Let's let's uh, let's go get some coffee or or go to the Bolarama for a oh. couple wings. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, we'll get something squared away. It was yeah. nice talking to you, John. Have a good one. Okay, boss. Thanks. Our next guest this evening helps people get past their mental roadblocks to lead the best lives they can possibly lead. Would you please welcome Master Coach Carla Lloyd. Carla Lloyd, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I am doing very well. I cannot complain. I was just, I think I just saw a cat run by. Uh, other than that, <laughs> I'm good. He's going to be a little annoyed because I got to keep the door closed because my, my, my roommate, she's really noisy. So. <laughs> oh, all that electronica. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, I don't know what trauma. I don't know what trauma in her life turned her away from real music. But, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But you. Are, uh, you are a master coach, and that's kind of a simplified term for what you do. Actually, it's a lot more elaborate than that. Can you elaborate on that? I sure can. Um, I am a master coach in NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Really quick, give them, give them uh, yeah. uh, before, before, we, before we lose people with an undefined word, let's, see if we, <laughs> let's explain that a Neuro Linguistic Programming, what that entails. Yes, yes, I'll explain all of it. Um, um, I'm a master coach in neurolinguistic programming, hypnotherapy, and timeline therapy practitioner. So uh, NLP, it is um, neurolinguistic programming. It's kind of what Tony Robbins does, but on a deeper scale. Um, what it does is, is it's kind of like the practice and the coaching method around uh, language and neurology. So basically we've been programmed with thousands and thousands of hours of, uh, of language. And that actually has built our neurology. Um, unfortunately, it's considered a pseudoscience as of, as of now because it hasn't been studied sufficiently. Um, but I mean, I see my clients change one after another after another. Um, there's actually a lot of studies coming up ever since 2014, a groundbreaking study um, around uh, infants and toddlers in, in France. They were Chinese, uh, Chinese toddlers born in France who had only spoken the French language. And they actually did a lot of tests on them and realized that when they played an ancient language, um, an ancient Chinese language, they actually had recollection, even though they couldn't speak Chinese or even remember Chinese, or even if they had heard it as an infant or a toddler or in the womb, they actually recognized, their brain actually recognized it. So there's a lot of groundbreaking science around it. And um, of course, now we know, you know, it changes people, it changed me, it helped me with, with some trauma around my childhood. And um, I also do hypnotherapy, and also do timeline therapy. And timeline therapy actually, it has helped with PTSD and phobias. Um, in England, it's kind of, it's a requirement for anybody with PTSD to go through a timeline therapy treatment. Um, I have countless testimonials that that have uh, have gone through timeline therapy that have helped has helped them and it definitely has helped me so um yeah there's just a lot of a lot more studies need to be done on it but i, I see the results every day and people keep what exactly is timeline therapy what so timeline therapy is a derivation of, of nlp so nlp is considered a little bit of a of an older science from the 70s mm -hmm. um we've done a lot more studies on neurology 
since then in psychotherapy. Um, so timeline therapy is a process that only a master coach can do. Um, and it's, it's for trauma specifically. Um, it can help a lot of, of different behavioral issues, but um, it definitely helps a lot with trauma, PTSD, severe phobias, because somehow the language in it has your unconscious mind speak up or subconscious, depending on how deep the phobia goes. Um, so the, the practice around this very specific language to get the conscious mind to kind of go to sleep and have the unconscious mind come out. Um, I know one of my, one of my clients, um, had a really, really deep phobia around money and she couldn't, she couldn't figure out why 65 years. And, uh, we, after we did the therapy, we did about a six hour session and we actually discovered that she had no recollection of this. She actually had swallowed a penny when she was a toddler. She must have been two or three. Didn't remember any of this. And through the process, she realized that she associated money with death. So she could never make more than a certain amount. Every time she had money, she would self-sabotage and spend it or figure out some, you know, some way to get rid of it. And uh, after the, the process, uh, deep in her unconscious mind, um, she had this this travesty, this trauma happened to her, and she associated money with death. So, so it's it's pretty spectacular uh, uh, practice. Now, a question for you: What is the difference between the subconscious mind and the unconscious mind? As so, the, so the unconscious mind is uh, something you don't you don't even know. You can't even see. It's completely unconscious. So, when someone is unconscious, lying on the floor. Mm -hmm. They're not even, con there's no consciousness at all. That is unconscious. So for example, the, the study they did with the infants, yes. um, it's completely unconscious. The brain recognizes the language, but it's completely unconscious because they have no memory of it. Um, subconscious is when it's close to being conscious. So there's a, so let's say, for example, there's a pattern in your life and you keep doing it over and over and over and over again. And you're just like, where, like, how come I can't stop it? Where is this coming from? Um, so it's, it's subconscious because you recognize it's there, but you really don't know the depth of it because it's, it's halfway from the unconscious to the, to the conscious. So the unconscious is the deep, deep depths of your brain. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, how does, how, does the, how does language affect uh, the child in the womb and a newborn child if they are not necessarily, if they don't, understand the language they don't speak the language yet they have no language function yet how does that how right. is that affecting them well so i'm not a neurologist or a psychiatrist right but for what we do know is that we pick up language um babies in the womb can hear classical music um there's certain things that we know so we don't know why you know why as a child would you make up certain beliefs around things um, we don't know. It's just everyone's uh, subconscious, unconscious mind is different. Um, we associate things with symbols. We associate uh, language with certain things. So even though, for example, um, I can say, what does wealth mean to you, right? Um, mm -hmm. Wealth can mean a whole different thing to you than it can mean to me. And that's just how our mind works. Our mind just picks up something and associates, okay, well, I'll associate this with this. And what if, you know, let's say I love basil and I'm, I don't even know what basil is, right? I'm a child mm -hmm. and I pick up a plant and I eat it and 
all of a sudden it just doesn't taste good. Um, so for me, basil, I'm going to go, ugh, disgusting, right? So basil mm. equals disgusting. For another toddler, they eat basil and they're like, oh, this is delicious. I love it. It's like, okay, basil, good thing, right? So for one person, it could be a bad thing. For one person, it could be a good thing. So that's why as a coach, um, we know to differentiate and respect each other's models of whatever your beliefs are. If you believe one thing is one thing, that, that's fine. I don't bring my beliefs to the to the surface, right? So um, we don't know. We don't know why we pick up the things we do. They just are, and they are for different people. Hmm. Yeah. Now you would We had discussed briefly timeline therapy. Is could you could you elaborate a little bit more? Are you talking about dealing with particular incidents on someone's timeline? Is that is that? Yes. Yeah, so basically, we all can. We all have a timeline, right? Yes. We, we we see a timeline when we see like the like the COVID virus, a timeline of the COVID virus, and we put certain dates. So we right. can all picture or feel or hear, depending on you know what kind of person you are. I'm highly kinesthetic. Sometimes mm -hmm. I can't envision something, but I can feel it. Like yeah, but if you tell me, hey, can you can you think of your timeline? I'm like, well, I can feel a timeline. Sure. Um, some people are very visual, some people are auditory. So um, the timeline is just the timeline of your life. That's it. Okay. And, and then the practice of the timeline therapy, the actual therapy, is we don't deal with events. Like, we don't even have to remember things. There was part of my childhood that I didn't remember. There were complete blocks. So my master coach was able to put me in the timeline and be able to do this therapy so I could heal from it and release all the, the negativity from all the negative emotions that I had um, around those, those blocks, right, or uh, mm -hmm. issues around my childhood. So it works with trauma. It works with PTSD. It works with behavior, behavioral issues. A lot of people are like, you know, I keep, I keep running into the same relationship. I change people and it's the same person, right? <laughs> I change people yes. and they do the same thing over and over again. So we deal with those patterns because they're subconscious. You realize you have this pattern. You realize you keep attracting the same person, but at the same time, you don't know what's going on and why you do it, right? So that that's why we do this therapy. Interesting. Well, uh, that's mind-boggling in its in its scope. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess you're dealing with the mind, right? So I guess that that would be appropriate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now you made you'd mentioned trauma earlier, so you know. It, it, now are we just talking physical traumas here, or we you know like uh, like you know the traumas of an accident, or are we are we talking more more in-depth anything um I, I would love to destigmatize uh trauma anything could be a trauma for my client it was swallowing a penny which that was traumatic for her you know there is no judgment there for this for her two and a half three-year-old mind that was extremely traumatic everyone started freaking out around her and her mind said oh crap money bad money death um uh, money equals you know i'm gonna hurt the people around me and hurt myself so it depends on your mind. If your mind, um, there's a lot of people who go to war and come back and they, they're not, they don't have PTSD, but there's some that do. We don't know why we associate certain things with, with trauma or why we categorize certain events with, with trauma. It can be anything. It's whatever it is to you. I also have had some clients who had severe physical abuse and they did not categorize it as trauma. I have uh, one client whose, whose parent died when he was very young and 
he didn't categorize it as trauma. I mean, for me, that would be, I mean, it was trauma when my mom died just in the last few years, right? Uh, Let alone a child and his parents died. So he, he never categorizes trauma. Um, It just depends, you know, whatever it is, but if it's causing a negative emotion, it's causing certain negative patterns or patterns that served you at one point, but they don't anymore. That means it's become negative. Eventually, it, it becomes something, and it needs to be. It needs to be pulled out, or it needs to be released. There's something around there that just needs to be healed. Interesting. Well, <laughs> Carla, I thank you so much for your time. It has been a very enjoyable conversation. I will let you get back to whatever horrible music you were planning on listening to. <laughs> hey, it's well, EDC weekend. It's the virtual Ravathon. Uh, yeah. So is it like? So we're like having a. a a rave at home, you know, rave at home, safe at yeah, home, rave so at home. There's going to be a Zoom rave up in here in about a few minutes. <laughs> oh, well, thank, thank goodness I, I won't have to hear that. You have a good night. You too. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Our musical guest tonight was unable to submit her music due to technical difficulties, so hopefully we'll get her back. But in the meanwhile, we have the original performance from Stephen Roth. Would you please enjoy Thinking of Susan? Several words I never thought I'd forget Was it time and place I now regret? She was a symbol of my destiny Not lying in the mud of my misery She took my heart, but so my mind She left me standing naked in the chicken line And goes like April snow She feeds me lions like I should know I've got a cut that won't be healed So she buried my heart in stony field And forgot Sad on a sunny day Beautiful friend that you sent away Smile shot in the dark Saw the sea Don't know if I'll ever find a friend Don't know if I'll pass this way again I'm just thinking of Susan You're welcome, but I'm not going home 
this time Feeling sad on a sunny day Beautiful friend that you sent away Smile shot in the dark Saw the sea And I don't know if I'll ever find a friend Don't know if I'll pass this way again I'm just thinking of Susan Hey, I'm thinking of Susan It's just like feeling sad on a sunny day The beautiful friend that you sent away And I don't know if I'll ever find a friend Don't know if I'll pass this way again I'm just thinking of Susan Hey, thinking of Susan It's like feeling sad on a sunny day The beautiful friend that you sent away Smile and shot in the dark Saw the sea Don't know if I'll ever find a friend Don't know if I'll pass this way again I'm just thinking of Susan Hey, I'm thinking of Susan Can't stop thinking of Susan Thank you to the pre-show players, Sadie Katz and Chase Ebner. It's fun stuff, guys. And thank you to our very special guest, John Krang. You can find out more information about him. Just find him on Twitter at John Krang. And you can also find out more about Carla Lloyd. Check out her Facebook page, Carla Lloyd. Uh, you know, you'll find her. And if you need any more information about these two, you can email me at daniel at earshotaudiola.com. You can find out more information about our show and uh, possibly being a guest yourself. Always happy to talk to people. I like talking. In the meanwhile, we're loading it up to YouTube and to a podcast near you on Apple, on Google, on Spotify. On with the rest of our week. And I hope you have a safe one. Hey, uh, Mr. Sanishevsky, time for your meds. Well, you heard the man. I'll see you next Monday. <laughs>